As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I salute each and every one with the honorable and the blessing words of grace, mercy, and peace. May they be multiplied unto you. Uh, this is Apostle Elliot, and, and in this, um, the Lord has led me in this season uh, to do a teaching on the signs of the times as articulated by the Apostle Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. And I think in a time such as this, It is critical that uh, we as believers, regardless of crisis, regardless of situation, uh, be shaken or moving in our faith, um, and that we not allow ourselves to be put in a position that we're not in sight of keeping our eyes on spiritual things, regardless of physical manifestations of how things occur. Amen. So in that, uh, as I just stated, um, the Lord is leading me to at least do a series because Matthew 24 is, um, as some may say, a little bit of a lengthy chapter as it has 51 verses. So in this part one, I would like to pay close attention uh, to verses one through eight. Amen. Verses one through eight. And with that, hopefully be able to uh, articulate what have been some of the uh, physical interpretations, literal interpretations, should I say, of what's being articulated by Scripture, but prayerfully be able to give those who are listening a spiritual revelation of those same words uh, to continue to grow the spirit man and have the spirit man in an understanding of seeing beyond the natural and being able to see into the supernatural. Amen. So in stating that, for those that have the word of the Lord with them, uh, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 24. And I, I will also say as a default, we will find many of these same verses articulated in the other gospels, as well as some of the epistle writings of the New Testament. Um, but once again, I'm going to use Matthew as the foundation source uh, for my particular teaching on um, not only in time prophecy, but also on um, in time of the world. And I articulate it like that because if I may give a sidebar revelation before even getting here into these specific verses, uh, when we talk in time, many times we fail to articulate what we're referring to as we say in time. We uh, often lump everything together and imply one and the same. But as I say, in time, uh, I articulate exactly what I say. 
end time meaning the conclusion or of the completion of time or chronos or chron chronology meaning 24 hours in a day seven days in a week uh, uh, 60 minutes in an hour, 60 seconds in a minute, amen, because as believers, if we're looking to becoming eternal beings in the Father, then yes, there is a end of time coming, but what we're actually saying is time runs into eternity. There is a season uh, in which what we have been basing our days on by a clock that will run out and no longer become relevant when it comes to us finally existing as eternal beings. Time is only something that is quantified while we are in these earthen vessels or while we are material beings. So, as we say in time, yes, we're talking about the end of time, but we're only talking about chronology coming to an end because chronology will run into eternity where time is no longer relevant, especially for those that are real Bible readers and you're exclusive into the book of Revelation and some of the other uh, end time statements or scriptures that have been stated by uh, Apostle Paul and some of the other writers. Amen. In that, I bring to your attention also, we say the end of the world. Um, when we're talking about the end of the world, let us be specific uh, because technically the word world in the Greek as it is articulated here in the New Testament from uh, the book of Matthew all the way across to the book of Revelation, when world is used, uh, the Greek term used there is cosmos. And when we began to exhaust the definition of cosmos in the Greek, yes, it can be associated with the planet. However, what is fine-tuned and more directive to us is it being defined as the sons of Adam. So when we say the end of the world, we're, we're not talking about the planet according to scripture. We're talking about the end of being the sons of Adam who were birthed as, as physical beings and transitioning into becoming the sons of God. Okay, now in my theological perspective to bag up what I'm saying, um, when we look at the book of Thessalonians and Paul begins to declare um, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. I'm just going to use that as an illustration here to kind of bag up why I'm making this comment of fine-tuning our thought process about what the end of the world means to us as believers. Paul says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, in the Greek, there's two, two significant words that I bring to your attention about new. There's the Greek word anos and there's the Greek word kinos. Anos is the terminology that is used when something is being made from nothing. Something is being called into existence, uh, just like creation or creating something um, um, from nothing. However, the Greek word kinos means, if I may put in layman's terms, cosmic reconstruction, or excuse me, cosmetic reconstruction, meaning whatever already exists is uh, not done away with, it's only being modified or fixed 
recreated or adjusted. Why do I say that and bring that to your attention other than when you go to Thessalonians as I'm referring to when Paul says new heaven and a new earth, the Greek word that he uses for new is the word kinos, which means once again cosmetic reconstruction. Something is being fixed or being modified in order to still be usable. Okay, so in that he says uh, the Lord God is going to modify what already exists as far as the heavens or the universe and he's going to modify what already exists as we know it as this world okay because think about it everything that's broken or everything that's infected doesn't necessarily have to be done away with case in point if I may give an illustration if uh, an individual's house is leaking from the roof the individual hasn't doesn't have to demolition the entire house to fix the roof they only do cosmetic reconstruction of the roof to fix the issue of the leak so in that this is what uh, I want to bring to your attention that there's some spiritual things that are occurring that is more exclusive to our spiritual discernment and understanding amen to give us more clarity as a believer moving forward as to what the scriptures have really implied to us. Amen. So as I state that to kind of set a little bit of the platform regarding this series, the Lord is leading me to do on Matthew 24. Let us just look quickly at the first eight verses. The scripture says, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Verse 7, for a nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, as I stated here previously, um, we can grab a, a uh, literal translation of what's said. Be it that we would look, first of all, and say, okay, Jesus and the disciples were at the temple, and they're looking at the temple, and, and the temple that's, that's being built, he makes a parallel or a metaphor regarding uh, the temple of himself being rebuilt. You know, because oftentimes people will even divert when, when you're talking about that to when uh, Jesus was, was talking at the time that he was taken into custody and said this temple will be built in three days. You know, when he's speaking before the Sanhedrin. We could, we could draw that conclusion. In the same turn as he's uh, uh, sitting on the Mount of Olives 
as the questions are presented here in verse 3. Tell us when these things will be and what shall be the sign of your coming and what will be the end of the world. We mostly as Christians or Western world believers default to that really being one question or one subject as to saying, you know, how will we be able to recognize when you're coming back? All right. In the same turn, uh, we also can look and see along verse four how he begins to speak about false prophets that will rise up that will say, I am him. We could we could interpret that as to say there's going to be people that's going to pretend to actually be Jesus and come into people saying, I'm the one I can heal you, etc. Amen. We we could also, you know, as we're continuing to look at these, just these specific verses, we can look at verse six and look at that in the literal sense and say, okay, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. All right. Many of us could look and say, okay, could it be this is talking about when the United States has been involved in World War One or World War Two or Vietnam or or issues of us being on the brink of war, i.e. nuclear war between us and Russia or China or or Korea. We can look at that in the in the literal sense. Um, Nations rising against nations, which with us being on the brink of war and having news stations give us tidbits of negative information regarding what's happening in other regions of the world. It can begin to put us into a place of timidness and high anxiety because of what we can see being imminent in our own physical destruction. Amen. I could, I, I could say many can draw that conclusion, but if I may, if I may uh, be a little bit more prophetic in this particular portion of text to begin to touch you on spiritual understanding beyond what you literally see. Amen. Because now if, if I can take a moment to begin to show you some things from the spiritual of this, it will probably be very profound to speak and speed your feed your spiritual man to going further than letting the physical world limit your spiritual understanding of where the Lord God is leading us to be in our eternal existence. Amen. So with that being said, let me begin to give you a little bit of revelation on this on the spiritual. Uh, once again, let's look quickly at these verses again. It says, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple. All right. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. When you look very closely, something should jump out to you. Jesus comes out of the physical temple, the one that we could understand that was still there in Jerusalem at this particular dispensation of time. But yet his disciples, and let me key something else in on this, uh, because oftentimes people may not understand this. When, we, when we're referring to disciples, hopefully this is a teaching point and a nugget for somebody that's listening to this. Disciple is not just a terminology for people that are followers. Uh, under the ancient cultural time, disciple is actually a term that implies student. So for for us to really understand, these aren't people just just that are just fan club that are that are following along. They're people that are students or they're people that are, if I may say, enrolled in being under the teaching of Christ. 
Amen. So hopefully I'm giving a, a, a revelation in this so that we're using terminology and more accuracy and more in the effective development of us as believers. So if we're going to be disciples, it's not just us saying, okay, sign me up to follow Jesus. No, it's sign me up to be a student unto him. Because as a student, that means I'm expected to graduate at some time. Okay, or to have something that identifies that I have completed or matured myself in the area of what I have enrolled to be a student of. Amen. So now, in that, he said, the scripture says that his disciples came to him. And what's, once again, as I said here a moment ago, is very profound. It says, buildings of the temple. I'm keying in on the fact that the word buildings is plural versus singular because if they were talking and this conversation was in regard to the physical edifice that Jesus was at as a temple, proper grammar would have said the building of the temple, singular. But what's odd is it pluralizes and what, what quickly comes to mind for those that are spiritual and have a revelation is if you remember in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and in 1 Corinthians 6.19, the scripture said, did you not know that your body are the temple of the living God and the spirit of God dwells in you? So now we begin to have a little bit more of a spiritual revelation, even in the simplicity of the verse, that the disciples are showing him how they're being built to be part of his temple. Just listen, listen closely. So then in this, based on the edifice that Jesus came out of, they began to show him themselves in the process of their being built as temples for him. Because remember, even when Jesus dealt with Peter, Peter's name is Petra, which means rock, but it means uh, in the sense of a, stone, of a stone versus Petros, which is a bigger rock or a bigger stone. And if you remember, the scripture says, upon this rock or upon this stone, I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus basically says in that particular scripture that he builds upon a rock. Okay, now I want you to hold that in the back of your mind as we're, we're looking here at these first eight verses. So, verse 2, it says, And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Okay, now, based on what I just referred to regarding Jesus' dialogue with Peter and about the rock, Still having yourself in a spiritual mindset, Jesus' response to them is, see ye all of these things. That's a question. However, you have to look very closely at this word thing that's articulated there. Because uh, if I may default to Hebrew for a moment, in the Old Testament, um, the Lord gave me a revelation when dealing with the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel said... Um, that God showed him uh, a thing when it came to the visions, the prophetic revelations that Daniel was given. He said the Lord showed him a thing. Now, the word thing 
Old Testament wise is translated from the Hebrew word Dabar, which means words or sayings. So in the vision of what the Lord gives associated with a thing, it is not something that has no identity because we say people, places, or things. So uh, we in the Western world look at this thing as an unknown. It hasn't been defined. It hasn't been established with an identity. Okay, but according to the word of the Lord, in his lingo or language, a thing is in association to words that he speaks or things that he has said uh, and those things coming to pass or manifesting. So with that understanding and that foundation, we can come back and begin to say, okay, if the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples, he says, once again, see ye not all these sayings or all these words coming into existence, i.e. based upon your being built as my temples, are you not seeing it come to pass based on what I have told you? And based on the experiences that you've been going through because of once you started a relationship with me, now these things are becoming stone by stone, brick by brick that is metaphorically being built in you. Now, here's what he says. He says, Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Okay, so now in the literal sense, we're looking at a building falling apart. What he is saying spiritually to his disciples is, remember, if he previously told Peter, upon this rock I shall build my church, then it's church stuff or religiosity that's built upon the foundation stone. Every stone that's being built on the foundation is a stone that is associated with the church or with religion or religiosity. Okay, what am I saying? Then the metaphor, the spiritual revelation that Jesus is giving to his disciples is that uh, based upon you being built, there is a time that's coming in your building that stuff that you have already been built in according to church or according to religiosity has to be dissolved. It has to be torn down and rebuilt. Okay, case in point, what he really says is as his disciples, as his students unto him, everyone in some shape, form or fashion has to have their Saul to Paul experience. For those that are Bible readers, when you begin to go back and you look at the book of Acts, when, when Saul uh, was on his journey to Tarsus, Saul was knowledgeable in the things of the word of the Lord. I, amen. He, he had been raised around the Sanhedrin, so he knew the letter of God's word but he didn't know the spirit of God's word. So he had to have an encounter with Christ in order to, watch this, topple his, his church status, his religiosity. Technically, if I can say as a metaphor, him being knocked off his horse was him in the place of being a brick on top of the foundation having to be overturned or dissolved so that he could be 
resurrected or built back up again they're going forward under the spirit and the tutelage of Christ hope I'm, I'm making sense to someone so so in this uh, he says there is nothing that is in each and every one of us in being built for him that has not been first dissolved or overturned so it can be rebuilt the correct way in him now still moving on verse 3 this this is very this this verse is very profound in this teaching because it's going to possibly set a whole new platform of understanding to anyone that's listening to this teaching right now it's going to set a whole new preference of understanding Matthew 24 in association with in time or in world prophecy amen let us look at verse 3 it says and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives the disciples came unto him privately saying and before before I move any further than that to touch this verse let let me bring something to your attention as well all right notice that the scripture says the mountain as he sat on the Mount of Olives all right as he basically foundationalized himself as he put himself in a place because sitting uh, starts at the base of a foundation so when we look at it metaphorically Jesus plants himself in a high place mountain we can look at literally as uh, a high elevation of territory however spiritually mountains were looked at as high places in spiritual realms high dimensions um, Many times throughout the Gospels, when we go back and we look at the walk of Jesus, Jesus always went in a high place to prayer, pray, excuse me. Sometimes people even associate them with ley lines. Uh, for those who know anything uh, uh, about spirituality, whether we're talking about kingdom spirituality or even demonic spirituality, people understand ley lines are places that there's high and intense places uh, where power or energy exerts itself uh, beyond what is on the base of the flat line of the earth's surface. So the high place is the place where spiritual things are intensified. And it's usually where, you know, for, for we that are kingdom people, according to the word of the Lord, are, are in a greater and a closer place with him. Just as high as we can get to the heavens, it's also an intense or increased or magnified place of power. So we can associate that. And I will even say this, uh, even as a default, when you go back and you look at Revelation when it came to John receiving the book of Revelation, the scripture even said when he received that, he was in a high place. So high places seem to be places of transference as well of things being received according to the word of the Lord. But let me digress from that and still, still bring something else out. He was on the Mount of Olives. All right, when you when you begin to digest the term olives, olive uh, is a term that means fruit or fruitfulness. So the mountain here, when we look at it from a spiritual perspective, is that Christ is sitting in a high place where fruit can be produced or where fruit can be duplicated based on what's received from the root or the source. Now, 
here's the power. Here's the power with understanding what he's articulating here in Matthew 24. Watch this. The disciples asked him, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, as I said here earlier, what many people get from a literal translation of that, that verse is we're all saying the disciples are asking him, when is everything in this reality going to be concluded? And when are we going to begin to live in eternity? However, what is very profound is technically they asked him three different questions. Look at this again. When they asked, tell us when shall these things be? That's question number one. And question number one is actually in reference to the previous verses about being built as temples, about how we are supposed to be spiritually built. Remember, once again, Paul says our body is the temple of the living God. But many people can't see themselves in this dispensation as being the temples of God because they have not been able to recognize the process of being built as temples. All they're recognizing is saying, I give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and are struggling with, with understanding why things uh, seem to be difficult in the process and don't understand the process once we give our life to him is about being built. Um, I recently gave a, a revelation on this because as we talk about being commissioned on his behalf, when you look at the word commission, what it means is authorization to be built. Think about it, for, th for those that are hearing this for the first time, it's just like a manufacturer. If an auto manufacturer is going to build a car, they first have to draft it you know what I'm saying, in paper or on a computer, but then the one who has the money or the backing or the authority to call it to come into commission or, or come into existence, they have to commission it being built. All right, so then in that, if a temple is going to be built, first it has to be commissioned to be built. It has to be authorized to be built. So, so in that, once again, Jesus is first addressing before the end of this physical realm has to happen. There's some spiritual things that have to happen. There has to be uh, first a commission. There's a commissioning that has already happened, but many have not uh, uh, committed themselves or submitted themselves to being built so that can occur. Well, once again, going back to verse three, the second question is what shall be the signs of thy coming? That's a different, different question to be answered than the first one. What is really being articulated by disciple is what will be the sign or what will be the mark that we as disciples now being built as temples for you, what will be the sign that we know that you're present with us or that you have manifested in us individually in the process or the work that is to come with us being built? See, basically what they're understanding is the fact it's one thing to go through the motions of doing religious things 
or Christ-like things, but they don't want to have a form of Christ. They want to have Christ in them with what they perform. So their question is, when will we be able to recognize that we have you within us in the process of being built? The third question that is presented is that what shall be the, uh, um, basically what is the sign of the end of the world? Now, the real question they're asking is what will be the mark that we will know the sons of Adam have come to their conclusion to no longer exist and we now transition to no longer living as the sons of Adam because now we're living as the sons of God. We're living in our spiritual identity versus our Adamic identity. These are the three questions that have been presented uh, to Christ in this. Okay, so now that we, that we have a foundation of understanding what's the real question of the signs of the times, at least that the disciples present, here's, here's, here's what else transitions. He begins to answer question number one with verse four. Okay, now in this, in this, uh, and, and let me sidebar before I go through these last few verses in this teaching, verse four through eight, based on what I just gave as a revelation on these three questions and what the previous verses are talking about, if I could give you a package of what this chapter dissects to you, then it begins talking about our building as earthen vessel temples for him. Then it begins to transition into answering the first question, i.e. about how we are being dissolved in our religiosity and our forms of church or our forms of, of religion or our forms of how we practice our faith from the rest of the verses from verse 1 through verse 8. When you get to verse 9 through 11, which I will tie into another teaching, now he begins to bring to our attention the spiritual birthing process because in your dying or in things being broken off from you once again in order to be born again as spiritual beings there is a birthing process that we are going through based on the building of us as spiritual temples on his behalf once you can capture that revelation of understanding verse 9 through 11, verse 12 through 13 is articulating what's the impact of the birthing pain. What is the impact of this transition of being spiritually built again? From there, when we get to verse 14 of this same chapter, Watch this. 
Technically, verse 1 through verse 13 is actually a gospel that is to be preached. It is a message within itself. Because, see, understand, people are looking to, to be told what are the physical ends of things. But the thing is, there's a whole nother prophetic message that has to be preached, which is about the building of each and every one of us as spiritual temples for him before he can physically come. Okay, this, this, when you begin to get into verse 14, and I'll touch that in another teaching, this is the message that is to be preached unto the believers. This is the message of the gospel that is for the kingdom. If that message, once that message is preached, then it begins to speak and open up the spiritual eye of individuals, their understanding of transition. Amen. Then when you get to verses 15 through 35, it articulates how to identify or what are the signs of the marks on our life when he is becoming present within us or the times he his presence can be identified based on the things that's being articulated that that uh, speaks of his coming or speaks of his presence. You know, oftentimes, just like people say with the uh, uh, poem Footprints, you know, in the poem, for those who may not be familiar, there's two sets of prints that are walking along, but at one point in time, the individual who's telling um, the story that's made into a poem says, you know, you started out with me, Christ, but then at one point you left me alone uh, because I only see one pair of footprints in the sand. And his response to him is basically, that was the time that I carried you. When you didn't see me was the main time I was with you. All right. You saw me and you knew I was there by the impression because of at the times a good time. But it's in your hard time that you don't see me and see many of us don't have the revelation, uh, except when we look from a spiritual perspective of verse 15 through 35. He begins to articulate what are the hard times that we're going to begin to go through as a believer. But it is a spiritual mark of when he is with us. And, and as one of the most prominent times that his presence is there. When you began to look beyond um, that, there's something else that I will articulate once again in another teaching on this with Matthew 24. Uh, when we really look specifically from um, verses uh, 29 to 31, in the midst of that, we begin to see how his manifestation occurs as well as the transition from being the sons of Adam, from being worldly. From verse 36 to 51, he turns around in the text and he begins to give us parables or examples in the natural of what this looks like so that we can know what is spiritually happening within because if we have been arrived as students and understand the spiritual process listen to what I'm saying not the spiritual timing but the spiritual process then when time comes for that or conclusion of time and we see world things occurring we know where we're at in the spiritual process 
verse 48 through verse 51 uh, will be uh, a detailed teaching regarding some of those things because they're, they're parables that begin to give parallels regarding certain elements and certain characteristics that are uh, in the process of us being arrived to becoming the spiritual beings or the spiritual sons of God as we transition from being the sons of Adam. So as I say that, hopefully even breaking down the rest of this chapter by the verses, it begins to give you another uh, way of looking at this chapter to begin to posture yourself as the Lord leads me to do the additional teachings regarding this chapter and bringing the revelation forth for you. So now to, to, to try to wrap this thing up and, and conclude this particular teaching, part one, uh, let me go back and begin to look at verse four through eight, as I previously mentioned. And the scripture says, and Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Okay. So in this, he, he specifically says in the process of you being torn down in order to be built up as temples, this is a significant time as to when you can be deceived. Okay, deception comes as to things that you purpose yourself to doing. Notice that, that if you purpose yourself to do a lot of stuff on the internet, then what happens? Hackers, you, you have to be knowledgeable that hackers exist that could throw you off or infect your process. So think about this, then if you purpose and process yourself as a spiritual being to pursue being the disciples of Christ, you have to be aware that there's bad teachers in the process. There's bad preachers in the process because some do not have the, the revelation of the intent to build you in the direction that you have purposed yourself to go according to the word of the Lord. So in that, he says, take heed, or he says, I need you to spiritually discern that no man leads you astray. All right. Because every, every path, there is a possibility to err. Okay. Um, so as he says that, that no man leads you astray. Verse five, for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. All right, so verse five, he says, because there will be many that, that come or will manifest or become self-evident that will come in my name or come in my character or claim to represent me. And when they come in representation of me, because it's, it's mostly, watch this, only when you start pursuing Christ that you run into versions of Christ. And the question is, are you going to run into the right version or be able to discern who's, who's real and who's fake? Just like as we often talk about in, in, in the Bible, people will say, well, there's many false prophets. Well, if there's false prophets, there's got to be a real one somewhere. You have to understand, what, whatever comes at you as a challenge in one aspect, there's an alternate of it that exists in this reality. So if there's good prophets or teachers, there's bad ones. If there's bad teachers, there's good ones. So he says, I, you have to raise your level of discernment as a spiritual being when it comes to preparing for your end as the sons of Adam to becoming the sons of God. You have to be in a place that you can discern what is being presented to you. 
And in this, the discerning is not just in the teachers and the preachers, but it's also in the religiosity that's being presented to you. Some things will be in a form of the church, but it's not the real church. Okay. Some things will look like church, practice like church, but yet it's not real church because there's a spirituality of idolatry. There's a, a spirituality of worldly prosperity um, that, that does not line up with the character or the reputation of Christ. So he says you need to be on high alert when it comes to you purposing yourself to chase after me. So, so in this, what does he say in verse six? He says, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Okay, so let's, let's look at verse six right quick. He says, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, Hearing here, you have to uh, have a revelation. Hearing is a terminology that is referring to understanding. Uh, if you go back Old Testament as well as New, New Testament, when it says, he that hath an ear, let him hear in the book of Revelation. All right, hearing uh, in the Greek is a koyo, but the term means not just to get something audibly in your head, it means to audibly receive it, process it, and understand it in order to drive your actions based on what you understand and accept. So in this, as he says, you will hear of wars, he says, I need you to understand uh, that there is a coming of Warfare in the natural, but let me let me put it in spiritual strife, quarreling, and disagreement. So, what I'm giving you a revelation of, he says, in your building as a temple, when it comes to your transformation of dissolving the old you and building you as the new you in me, he says, you will understand the war that you got within yourself all right because the strife and the quarrel that goes on doesn't necessarily have to be external the strife uh, and the quarrel is the rationalizing you begin to have when you're being rebuilt because think about this many people in their form of religiosity they've been built to have certain beliefs that may not have been foundationalized in the word and so there's many things that we do because mama used to do it daddy used to do it pookie and them because everybody used to do it and so you just do it because everybody else did it and so in that when something uh, goes against it according to the word of the Lord it causes you to war within yourself because you're like really I've got to stop doing that or I didn't know I was doing that in error and I don't know if I want to accept what they told me but they showed it to me in the word of the Lord and it's crystal clear so the quarrel the war that you will hear or understand is the one within yourself you'll have a war within yourself and then he says you'll have rumors or hearsay so things will continue to speak in your head to cause more spiritual strife and warfare within you then he says, watch this. He says, see that you're not troubled because think about this. If this was only talking about external war, every external war that you hear about does not move you. 
it doesn't deal with you directly. It's, it's things that deal with you directly that causes you as an individual to have high levels of anxiety. So, so in this, the war is, is, is focused on what's happening in you because it's when you get shook out of what your morals and your ethics and your beliefs are that's when you feel unsafe that's when you feel unsteady that's when you feel troubled which now goes back to why Christ says be not troubled because this is dealing with you all right now in the same turn he says uh, for all these things or all these sayings, all these words must come to pass or must manifest in transforming you from being a worldly believer to a true believer or a spiritual son or daughter. There has to be a time that you go through transition with yourself in order to yield or submit to him to be Lord over you and guide you to bring you to your greater end. And in the process of him bringing you to the greater end, watch this, he turns around and says, but the end is not yet. Meaning, once again, the conclusion or the finale of who you are to become in him is not at this point. It's only the incubation phase. Watch this. Right now, you are being conceived as a seed in the womb of the process. So in that verse seven, he says, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. What is he saying here in verse seven? Well, in this, once again, we're still talking about the building of us as spiritual beings. He's, he's, he's continuing to say in the incubation process of you being torn down and built up, there are some other spiritual things that have to occur. As he says, nation shall rise against nation. He, the word nation means Gentiles. It means heathen. It's not, it's not talking about a country. Western worldwide, we, we think a nation is a country like Russia or China or the U.S. or Korea, uh, Africa, etc. But scripture wise, Nation refers to an identification associated with a person being, uh, i.e., foreigner, a foreigner unto the Lord, or being what the Lord would call a heathen because they don't have a relationship with Him. They're out of covenant or have not established a covenant uh, to now no longer be a nation, but be his people or his kindred. So he says, nation will rise against nation in your building, meaning everything of the heathen spirituality will war against itself. Then he says, kingdom against kingdom, meaning authority, realm of dominion shall rise against realm of dominion because in a rebuilding process, once again, some things that you thought you were foundationed in are, is now unstable. Those things begin to happen. He says, famine will occur, meaning there will be a lack of food but watch this it brings back a true revelation when we talks about a lack of food 
Remember, in the Old Testament, the prophet says, in the last days, there will be a famine in the land, but it is not a famine of food and drink, but it's of hearing the word of the Lord. As we understood here, uh, and as I just articulated, hearing is something that becomes significant when it comes to receiving the word of the Lord in the process of your spiritual rebuilding. So the famine that he's talking about is your spiritual hearing ability to process and accept and receive and begin to be purposed towards what you have been given to be built in. Now, he not only says there's famine, but he says there's pestilence. Pestilence, understand, means plagues or diseases or viruses. There's things that will be impacting you that will cause you to be sick or, or be in a place that you're not in full health in the process of what is happening in the transition. Now, in the same turn, what else is significant is he says, uh, there also will be earthquakes. Now, we could, we could translate earthquakes as a physical shaking of the earth. Yes, from a literal translation. But once again, I said this teaching is supposed to be spiritually driven. So I'm gonna give you another revelation. When you look at the word earthquake in the Greek, it not only means to, to shake physically, but it means to be shaken or agitated in the mind. It means for commotions to occur that gets you agitated internally to be in a place that you're internally trembling or feeling fear or anxiety. So from the spiritual perspective, the lack of receiving the word in a, in a time of being rebuilt, a time of being infected in a time of being rebuilt, and these things causing you to now be unstable, you being shook, because of the commotion and the challenging thoughts that are occurring within you internally. Now he says, uh, um, these things will happen in diverse places. All right. Um, diverse, if I may, sh may share a revelation to this. As he says, these things that I've just mentioned to you that are to occur in your spiritual rebuilding process, he said, will happen in diverse places. Now, technically, in the natural, once again, from a literal translation, many are saying, okay, he's talking about uh, odd places or abnormal places that things don't normally happen. But once again, I bring you back into focus from a spiritual perspective. The word diverse means... Uh, uh, place of opportunity for acting or performing something or the place of being empowered of having the ability and the influence to carry something out which now once again supports what I'm saying regarding these elements being spiritual in nature as to what Christ was talking about to the disciples. He says, based on you being in a place that you're uneasy and trembling, based on you being shook, now what happens is it causes you to be in a place that you question stepping into your opportunity to act. 
the adversary works greatly against believers because what he presents that brings fear causes you to hesitate on acting out the spiritual thing that you've been given to walk into your destiny which is to be in eternity as spiritual sons beyond being the sons of Adam so in this he's in the building process the the the, the real nemesis in this is when nation rises against nation kingdom against kingdom uh, and earthquakes occurring within thyself he says these things will cause you to hesitate and not make movement according to letting yourself be rebuilt into the temple that you were destined to be as a spiritual being which now enunciates your identity as a spiritual son what is is the result then here in verse 8 he says all these things or all these sayings are the beginning of sorrows now this is the last point that I'm gonna do in this teaching he says all these things are the beginning of sorrows. What is he talking about of sorrows? Well, as I said before, many of us once again have a literal translation. We say all these things are the start or the birthplace of our grieving. But what's very profound is when you go look at that word sorrow in the Greek, it is referring to the birthing process or being birthed forth. So grab what I am saying. In the conclusion of all of this, of what I've just articulated regarding these previous verses, he says, all of these things are the beginning that I have mentioned. They're the beginning of you getting birthed forth as the sons of God. In your transition from being the sons of Adam or the end of the world these things have to happen for your birthing process you have to 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 uh, recognize what is the war within your mind you have to recognize what is uh, the nation against nation meaning meaning once again uh, your heathen thinking that rises against heathen thinking that causes an instability of spiritual thinking because you have been impacted by worldly things you have to recognize when your authority has has vexed itself and gone against or contradicted kingdom authority within thyself uh, you will recognize there's a time that comes that no longer you're getting a word or being able to hear a word from the Lord uh, these are the things that he says are only the beginning of the pregnancy process. They're only the beginning of the trimester of your spiritual life before you have been birthed forth as to being the sons of God for eternity and the end of the world or being the sons of Adam. Amen. So in that, I'm going to conclude that there here, part one on uh, Matthew 24 um the signs of the times amen prayerfully this is a blessing to anyone that takes the time to listen and absorb what i've just shared with you and i hope it proves to be a mighty blessing of understanding to grow you in your spiritual understanding of the word of the lord amen amen and amen 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.